when we started in the series of John, Colin encouraged us to be reading John, you know, when you meet up with your family. I wonder if people have been doing that and how is it going? I found it really helpful. You know, you see insights. When you read the word of God with somebody, you get to see a different view than probably what you're reading. So my encouragement is that um, it will be good to do and to continue to do it throughout. So today I'll be continuing in John, and it's John 2, 12 to 25. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered what is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. That is the word of God. Amen. Amen. Okay. So here we see in this passage that uh, Jesus was indignant when he saw what was taking place in the temple. The outer courts had become like a marketplace. There were probably tens of thousands of people, even hundreds of thousands of people coming in and out of the temple courts uh, for the Passover meal. And they were there to give, to, to, do, to give sacrifices as had been instructed by the Lord. But just to give a bit of context, like what is the Passover? What was that all about? So the Jews celebrated Passover festival every year as they had been instructed as an ordinance by God. And this is found in um, Exodus 12. So the the Israelites had been living in slavery in Egypt and God had delivered them out of Egypt. And one of the last plagues, the 10th plague, what, Jesus, uh, what God had said to the Israelites was, I will save you, put blood on the doors. So they had, they had sacrificed animals and then they put the blood of those animals on the doors. And the angel of death, when it came, it passed over uh, the doors that had the blood on them. So that means the firstborns of the Israelites were saved. 
And then from then, God took them out of Egypt to the promised land. So God had said, in remembrance of my deliverance out of Egypt, you have to remember with the Passover meal, and it was to be done year after year. And God had said, I want this to happen, and every time you celebrate the Passover, I want you to speak about the Passover to your children. Tell them what God has done for you, how he has delivered you. And during the Passover festival, God had specific instructions, because after all, he's like a holy God. He had specific instructions what he expected the Israelites to do. So during the Passover, they had to ensure that they had removed all yeasts from their homes, that they ate unleavened bread for seven days, that even the animals they sacrificed had to be a year old and they had to be without blemish. Um, and even the way they sacrificed was done under the supervision of the priests and um, it was in a way that had been prescribed by God. Even foreigners weren't allowed to partake in the Passover meal, but they could once they had circumcised all the males in the household, then could they partake. And this was because God was a holy God and he wanted his things done in a certain way. So originally the Passover was celebrated in people's homes and once the temple had been built, uh, the, Passover, the families would take their Passover lamb uh, to the temple. So, so just going back to where we are in the passage. So in Jesus' day, the Jews would be coming from all over the diaspora. They would be coming, all of them, into Jerusalem for this Passover feast. Um, so if you can imagine, if you're traveling thousands of miles to come into Jerusalem and you've got the lamb or whatever animal that you're going to sacrifice. If you're going to be traveling over thousands of miles, it's likely that by the time you get to Jerusalem, that animal would no longer be perfect, would no longer be without blemish. Uh, maybe it would fall in a hole or maybe it would be caught in a bush and the sheepskin would, something could happen and it wouldn't be fit uh, to be sacrificed. Um, so it makes reasonable sense that actually you would buy the animals in Jerusalem. And then there was also, it says there were also money changes within the temple. It was reasonable. If they're coming from all over the diaspora, it means they're coming from foreign lands. So the money that they would earn would be a foreign currency. So meaning once they got into Jerusalem, they would need to exchange it to the currency of the temple in order for them to be able to trade and buy these animals. So... Um, so it makes perfect sense, actually, that there would be this buying and selling, that there would be money changes taking place. Yet Jesus made a whip of cords and started driving them all out of the courts, and he overturned the money changers' tables. Why was Jesus indignant? Why did he need to do that when it sounds reasonable that you know, trade should be going on? I want us to picture this scene as well. Jews coming from everywhere in the diaspora to come and worship. There's going to be just a lot of people. So if you think your extended the extended families will be there staying in their households, you would probably have all the inns full. If there were campsites somewhere, maybe all the campsites would be full. Jerusalem had so many people, tens and thousands of people coming to the Passover festival. Yet we hear in this passage 
that Jesus comes in, he's not yet well known, and he's driving people out of the temple, saying, get out of my father's house. This is not a marketplace. And for me, I'm just thinking, if I was a trader, and you're overturning my table, you're doing all this, this is my income, I would be mad. If I was one of the people coming for the Passover festival, I've been waiting in a queue, I want to get the best animal, maybe I've having to negotiate, maybe the prices are not right, I don't know whatever it is, driving us out when I've been waiting, I'm next in the queue, you're going to do this here? And then maybe if I was one of the temple leaders or the priests, how dare, who are you? How dare you come into the temple courts and do this? We've been doing this all our lives and you want to come in here and change how things are done? And yet Jesus comes and says, get out of my father's house. This is not a marketplace. Um, and yet, so what I find a miracle is that there was no stampede. There was no, even though it says he had a whip of cords, there was no stampede, there was no revolt against him, there was no uprising. I know like if you go for a concert or a match in a stadium and just a little kerfuffle happening here can disrupt everything. And yet it says here they all left. You know, nothing happened. And that in itself uh, was a miracle. It shows that uh, Jesus had an undisputable authority. He had a sovereign power. He, Jesus exercised, exercised his divine authority. You know, we can't even explain, I can't even imagine how did it happen without any chaos, and yet people listened. It said they all were driven out of the temple. And this is one of the signs that John shows us that actually Jesus is the Messiah. But I come back to the question. Why was Jesus driving them out of the temple? You know, he said, stop making my father's house into a market. The temple courts had become a trading place. You know, just like a supermarket, you go in, you want to buy something, you buy and you leave. There's not like an intimate relationship with the owners of the supermarket. You want something, they've got something you want, it's just transactional. You come in and you go out. And so the temple courts might have just been like that. It was just about trading, coming in, getting the animals that you need and going. It had just become like a commotion. It would have been very difficult for people to pray or even maybe to worship or even have to have contemplation to just sit there and reflect on the glory of God or even just sit there and... Um, worship God because actually there's somebody arguing there about a price, the people saying, oh, please move over, whatever it is. It just doesn't seem like it would have been a conducive place to be worshiping God. Could it be that the people in the temple were just going through the motions? This is what we need to do. This is what Jesus requires of us. This is what God requires of us. We need to make a sacrifice and then we'll go and then you know, where they're just going through the motions. And it was, the marketplace was conveniently located. You know, you didn't have to go, because it says that they used to go up to Jerusalem. So actually, you know, you didn't have to worry about maybe carrying the animal from wherever. You know, it was so conveniently placed. 
and it was a get-in, get-out process. Jesus was indignant because the marketplace had come into a place that was meant for God only. The marketplace was distracting from the full attention from God. They had brought the ordinary into the sacred. And yet God had graciously provided the tabernacle at first when they were in the wilderness to the temple to give his people access to him. We know that God is a holy God, you know, and we as sinful people, yet God wanted to dwell among his people. And he graciously provided us, in, I mean, the Israelites at that time, with a place where they could meet with God. The temple was a place of sacrifice. It was a place that was conducive for prayer, for worship. It was a place where the holy God dwelt. The temple was where God dwelt among his people. The temple was beautiful. You know, like if you read the ornaments that God wanted, the measurements, what was in there, you know, it was so specific. And just from reading it, it, it was so beautiful. It was adorned and it, it was exclusively for God's glory. And he had given instructions of how he wanted it because he is a holy God and we are a sinful people. God had decided that he wanted to have a presence among his people even though we were a sinful people. So I can see why Jesus had every right to express his anger at what he saw in the court. He is a righteous God and he could not ignore impure worship or impure relationships. And his anger was not impulsive. We know that Jesus had been going to the temple as a young boy, after he was going to the temple, he would have seen the marketplace while he was there. And it says actually he made a, a, the whip of cords. That means, he, he, no, he took his time, he did it. It wasn't impulsive. He knew what he was doing. And also, another thing that, you know, when you think about it is that um, when he made a whip of cords and he drove the people out of the temple. Later on in the gospel, when we hear that, you know, when people start accusing Jesus and they want him crucified, nobody brings the accusation that, wow, he drove us out of the temple. It was actually, he, he said he would uh, destroy this temple and build it in three days. That means there was no violence, there was nothing, but there was just that sovereign authority and sovereign power that just drove everybody out. And that is our God. And also when we read um, in the chapter that we just read, anger is not the emotion that the disciples uh, reference to. They say zeal. You know, it is the zeal that Jesus had and not anger or indignation. The disciples on seeing his actions at the temple, zeal is not what came to their minds. Jesus was passionate for the reverence of the Father. He had a consuming desire to preserve and vindicate the honor of God in his sanctuary. Jesus' indignation wasn't about what, uh, about what was going on in the temple. It wasn't towards people, but it was towards the distractions that were preventing the reverence and the worship of the holy God. The outer courts were a place where the Gentiles could also worship God. They couldn't go into the inner courts 
but they had that provision to worship within the outer courts. So if you think you were a Gentile, there's a lot of, there's a lot of trading going on. It would have been very difficult for them to even worship God in that sense. So actually the actions of putting a marketplace there meant we, they'd already excluded a whole group of people from being able to worship the living God. And that is why our Lord was indignant. Who gives you authority? That's what they were asking. Who gives you the authority to do what you're doing? And then they demand that Jesus give them a sign. But actually, uh, Jesus doesn't give them a sign. But if we can just go to Malachi 3, 1 to 4. It says, uh, so this is the prophet Malachi. He was prophesying, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says Almighty God. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and a laundress soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So the leaders, the priests would have known about this. You know, they, they searched the scriptures, they knew the scriptures, so they would have known that this would happen because they knew that the Messiah would suddenly come and would purify the temple so that men would offer offerings. So instead of Jesus showing them more signs, um, he, just, he just tells them that I am, you know, he tells them about his death and resurrection. They don't really understand it at the time, but it says when Jesus had died and had been resurrected, the disciples knew uh, what God was talking about. So what does that mean for us today? When we read this passage, what does that mean for us as believers today? You know, we no longer need to observe all the strict rituals that were required to be able to be in the presence of God. Does that mean that God is no longer holy? No. God remains holy. So why is that? So when Jesus died on the cross, it says that the thick veil that was in the holy, that separated the holy of holies from the holy place was split right from the top to the bottom. When he was crucified and he died, that barrier that was between God and man was removed. And it was through the atonement that, of the sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross. Jesus is the living temple. He is the sacrifice. He is the lamb without blemish. He is the lamb that was slain. He is the high priest that intercedes for us. And therefore, there's no longer need for us uh, to be sacrificing animals. It is through Jesus that we are able to have access to the presence of God. Where people, you know, it says that the high priest only went once a year, you know, during atonement and it was just once. But now we've got access to the living God daily. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And just like they celebrated the Passover feast then, 
we get to celebrate communion with each other and remember what God did for us on the cross. But the good news doesn't end there. Jesus, after his resurrection, said, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit, and my Holy Spirit is going to live in you. So now, not only that, we are now the temples of the living God. We are now, not even the temple, sorry, we are the temple. Together, we are the temple of the living God. We get to carry the presence of God in us. Wherever we go, we carry the presence of the living God. I just want us to put 1 Corinthians 3.16 and then 1 Peter 2.4.5. It says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? And then also 1 Peter 2.4-5, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are built into a spiritual house, a temple, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Amen. We are the temple. The holy God lives in us. We are the temple and the holy God lives in us. Do you know how valuable you are? Do you know how precious you are? You know, we see how God really took time to, to say how he wanted his temple. The living God resides in us. When you see another believer, do you see the temple of the living God? You know, Jesus was zealous about the purity of our, of our lives. Jesus desires that we have a relationship with God. If God took such zeal with a temporary building, how much more zeal to ensure that every single part of our lives are dedicated to God or belong to God? You know, even the fringes of our lives, the outer courts of our lives belong to God. And he wants those places as well. It's not just, you know, I don't think we should compartmentalize our lives like, oh yeah, this is the church, Tsikamai, this is the... All our lives belong to him. We are the temple of the living God. You know, we cannot allow the ordinary, we cannot allow the secular to take place. We can't normalize things that are not sacred within the temple. So my question to you before we close is, what have you normalized in your life? What is it that you have normalized in your life and yet you are the temple of God? Is it shame? You know, is it fear? Is it procrastination? Is it bitterness? Are you unforgiving? Insecurity, anger? What is it that you have normalized in your life that you've kind of said, oh, well, that's me. I just, I just can't help myself even when I try. You know, are there tables that Jesus needs to turn over in our lives? Are there strongholds that Jesus needs to destroy in our lives? You know, have you resigned to addictions? Oh, yeah, I've got a food addiction, gambling, I don't know, pornography, 
shopping, internet, my mindset, my attitude. Oh, I'm never lucky. Oh, yeah, this happens in my family. Oh, yeah, my headache. It's, I always have a headache. That's just me. Have we begun to normalize things that are not of God? We are the temple of the living God. You know, do you feel unworthy? Do you feel unlovable, like you don't belong, like you are the temple of the living God and you've been bought at such a price? You know, God didn't think you were not worthy for him to die on the cross. And the cross just wasn't something simple. We know about how much it cost Jesus. So what are the obstacles that are stopping us from having a relationship with God? You know, has our worship become like a marketplace? Like, I just go through the motions, I have to go to church, I'll praise, I'll sing, I'll go, I'll go home. Is that what our worship has become? We worship a living God. Is convenience more important than the practice of the presence of God? Is it all about our needs? Are my needs being met? When I come here, are my needs being met? <sighs> Actually, the worship wasn't that great. The preach was boring. Oh, they never meet my needs. Oh, it's always this, it's always that. Do we make it harder for people to come to Jesus? Just like there was a marketplace in the temple courts. Are we, the way we live our lives, are we making it more difficult for other people to come to Jesus? So, but there's good news. We don't have to do it with our own efforts. He is the lamb that was slain. He sacrificed, he's the high priest who's interceding for us. He, you know, we don't have to do anything. Jesus will cleanse the temple. Just like in that day, he cleansed the temple. Because I think sometimes there's that thing of, oh, what can I do? I need to get my life in order. Today, just know that the lamb who was slain sacrificed once and for all. It is finished, it is done, and we can no longer, amen, amen. We can no longer accept the ordinary in our lives. You know, um, the verse in one, Peter goes on to say like, we are a, we are a, we are a royal priesthood. Uh, I wish it was up there then I would, you know. But it's such, when I read it, when I read it, I feel like, yes, this is who we are, and we need to remind ourselves. So how is Jesus going to cleanse? The part that we need to play is just to remain in the word, remain in God's word, prioritize the word. You know when you're zealous for something, you prioritize it. You don't even need to tell people that I'm zealous for this. People will say, oh, if it's so-and-so, they're zealous. People will know. So we need to get to a place where we prioritize the word in our lives, we prioritize prayer, we prioritize fellowship with others. Um, let God into every area of your life. Let God into every part of your life um, and see him cleanse your temple. See him drive out, um, um, drive out all strongholds or overturn all strongholds. Jesus wants to do that for us today. As passionate as he was when he cleansed that temple, he's passionate that every single area of our lives is for him and is dedicated to him. So I think we should finish with communion. Just like they had the Passover feast, 
we have got a better feast. Yeah? Jesus' body and his blood shed for us because he loves us so much. If you are doubting, does God love me? He loves you. He loves you with an undying love. And I think that's what the reminder is today that Jesus loves us and he's for us. So as we take communion, so there's uh, tables around the room. As we take communion, let's reflect on what Jesus has done for us. Let us be reminded that we are the temple of the living God. The holy presence of God resides in us and our lives should reflect that. So if you need prayer, you can come to the front. But even as you take communion with one another, can you remind each other? Can you pray for one another uh, for what God has done in our lives? Amen. Amen.